listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, March the 28th, in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Mondays, we like to take a look at the lessons for the following Sunday. Uh, We have three lessons each Sunday, including the psalm. This is the fifth Sunday in Lent, and it will be April the 3rd, 2022. Readings are from Isaiah 43, Philippians 3, and Luke chapter 20. So we've been doing law and gospel for 25 years here on KFUO. This month is its 25th anniversary. And for many, many broadcasts, we've showed the difference between law and gospel. We've used my favorite passages would be Romans chapter three or Galatians three or Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22 or passages from Jeremiah, passages from Ezekiel, statements from Moses, Elijah, many of the prophets, and of course, the Gospels, as well as the Epistles. Well, today we're going to do another Law and Gospel passage that is really clear. And and you may want to keep this in your memory. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. I don't think we've ever done that before in taking a look at, well, what is the difference between living under the law, and living under the gospel. Living under the law is really what unbelievers or people with weak faith have, namely that they think they can get saved by making up to God for their sins by their good works. Christianity is the only religion in the world where good works don't count. That's right. That's what I said. Good works don't count. You don't go to heaven because you've done good works. You don't go to hell because you've done sin. Because if that were true, nobody would be going to heaven since we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. This distinction between law and gospel is really quite unique to Lutheran theology and is not found in many other theologies. Yesterday, for example, I always entertain questions from congregational members, the four congregations I'm helping out with in Illinois, and I'll take some time to answer any questions Uh, before a Bible study, and then I'm always available after the second service on Sunday uh, to take even more questions. But an individual came up to me and said, you know, yesterday I was at a Bible study, and we were being taught that God predestines those who are going to heaven, and then he predestines those who are going to hell. And he said, That's not correct, is it? Well, as soon as he said the word predestined, I looked up Ephesians chapter 1, where 
never does it say that anyone is predestined to hell. The, the question about whether or not a person is saved is unanswerable in this sense. Why are some people saved and others are not? Any answer almost always blames God for not saving a person. And of course, that is unbiblical. It is clear, I said to him, that the Bible study you were attending was not a Lutheran one. And it was not. It was in a Baptist church. And I said, yes, they are mainly Reformed following Calvin, who believed in what we call double predestination, that some people are predestined to heaven, some people are predestined to hell. Now, if I believed that, I would never do evangelism. Why? Because if you're predestined to heaven, you're going to be going to heaven, whether or not evangelism takes place. And if you're predestined to hell, it doesn't matter how much evangelism you do, witnessing about Christ, because it's a lost cause. So it's very clear that that double predestination is contrary to the word of God, because we are to go out and seek people to be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins. Everyone who is born is really in the kingdom of hell because they don't have faith in Jesus Christ. And that occurs even in infants when they are baptized. And in adults, a lot of times, when they listen to the word of God and believe it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's go on to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, the reading begins with verse 8. And I will show you, demonstrate to you, how important is this distinction between law and gospel? Indeed, it begins, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now, who's talking here? This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippians. What's he talking about that he has suffered the loss of all things? Well, he reminds us that he was a top Pharisee, that he was really a teacher of the church, when he pursued Christians to arrest them and even put them in jail, and a number of them were put to death because of their Christianity. And then something happened on the road to Damascus, and everything that Paul had have to assure him that he was saved, he now counted as loss, namely all of these ceremonial works that he was able to do, that none of them saved him. They're all rubbish. Rubbish in comparison to what? In comparison 
to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, rose from the dead, paid for all of Paul's sins. Now, the most important verse here is verse 9 of Philippians 3. After he says, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now listen to verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, there's hardly a better Bible verse to talk about the distinction between law and gospel than this verse 9. Paul really agrees with God in that his own righteousness falls short of the glory of God. First of all, when he was an unbeliever, his righteousness always was motivated in a wrong way. He did things in order to gain eternal life, to merit eternal life, and did not realize that nobody ever merits, earns eternal life. Instead, we inherit eternal life. So unlike everything that almost works in the world, where you get ahead by your works, in Christianity, there's no way to get ahead by your works. And he makes it very clear that he does not have a righteousness of his own that comes from the law. But the righteousness he has comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, not works. This is a wonderful Bible verse. If anybody ever asks you, well, what's the difference between law and gospel? Well, if you want to live under the law, then you are thinking that you are going to be saved by your own righteousness uh, from obedience to the law. No, that is a lost cause. Even as a Christian, we often have various motivations in doing good works. And sometimes we do them to look good in front of others. Other times we do them and think that, well, God's really going to bless us now because of what we are doing. And in, in fact, there are some preachers who say, you don't get enough blessings because you're not doing enough good works. If that isn't ridiculous, that that's like saying, to a, a little child who's one or two years old. Well, if you want to have more blessings from your parents, you better start obeying them. No, that one or two-year-old child is already getting blessings, namely being fed, being housed, being dressed, being put into a bed. And then these will continue as he's driven to school, driven to church. All these things come from parents, not because 
the child is righteous, but because of the love the parent has towards the child. Yes, occasionally there may be discipline to help the child learn what not to do. And if you want to understand how to do discipline, just read the book of Proverbs that we're studying on Wednesdays, where Solomon gives specific advice as to the will of God so that people don't end up in unbelief and die in hell. So the righteousness that you have, which even may be fruit of the Holy Spirit, does not earn you heaven. In fact, it can't even occur until you already are on your way to heaven. That is, you're already saved. It's like being an orphan. Well, you can't do good works for parents when you're an orphan because you may not know who your parents are. And maybe you're in an institution and somebody comes and they adopt you. Once you're adopted, then you begin to receive blessings from your adoptive parents as well as you do good works. But notice that did not happen until you were adopted. And by the way, being adopted is one of God's favorite metaphors to indicate how you became a child of God. You were adopted. You were not begotten. Only one child is begotten, and that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But we were adopted by God into his family, some of us through baptism, some of us through hearing the word of God, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, believing it. So put this in your mind. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, which says very clearly that I am not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. It's still a righteousness that is yours, but it is from God, depending on faith. How does that work? Faith means you believe the promises of Jesus. For instance, on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Or to the disciples, when he rose from the dead, whosoever sins you remit or forgive, they are forgiven. Whosoever sins you retain, because they are unrepentant, then they are retained. And we even talked about how repentance is a gift from God. Repentance is not something that you do. No, it's something that's moved inside of you because of what God has done. Uh, the best example is the parable that we looked at this past Sunday. It's called the parable of the prodigal son who tells his dad, would you please drop dead 
so that I can have your possessions. And the father gives him possessions that he goes out, and boy, he wastes his money, and he becomes very poor and ends up feeding pigs, which are unclean animals for the Jews. And then it says, when he comes to himself, he says, what am I doing? My father's paid servants, boy, they have enough bread to eat. I know what I'll do. I'll go home and say, Father, I've sinned against you and before God. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Well, make me one of your best hired servants. These servants were not slaves. It's a different word for them in the Greek. It's a word that shows that they were self-employed and they made more money than anyone else when they came to work on a farm. And he wanted to be one of the best paying. So he's really returning home to manipulate his father. He really is not at all truly repentant. And on his way home, his father sees him, runs out to him, which is really ridiculous. If you're listening to Jesus telling this parable, have you ever seen Queen Elizabeth of England pick up her dress and run to her grandchildren? No, they don't do that. In fact, we as missionaries, when we go to certain lands, we're told don't run from one place to another. Walk slowly because that shows that you are still in control of your life. When you're running, then you're embarrassing yourself. Well, this father who represents Jesus runs to his son, holds on to him, gives him the best robe, which is the father's robe, the ring so he can sign contracts, and shoes on his feet, which is for kind of royalty rather than just a slave. It is that action on the part of his father that the son did not expect. And therefore, rather than try to manipulate his father and get a good job, he simply says, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not worthy to be called your son, period. He doesn't ask for the best paying job. That's true repentance. When we fall at the feet of God, knowing very well that we do not deserve his blessings. Repentance is not something you decide to do. I, I've even heard Lutherans, you know, like ask them, if you die, will you go to heaven? And they say, oh, yes because I daily repent of my sins. And, and they brag about their repentance as though by doing so, they're making a good impression on God. And God says, well, now I like you. Maybe I'll love you. Maybe I'll save you. But that's on the basis of a work that you're trying to do. How many times have we repented and really not meant it? When I was a kid, we would also wrestle with my two brothers. And 
I remember one time I was chasing one of the younger brothers upstairs, and he ran into his room, closed the door, and I was running after him, but I couldn't stop myself, and I banged into the door and split the door, a crack down the middle of the door. Now, it was still standing, so we tried to figure out what are we going to do. So we went and got some scotch tape and put it on the door. Well, it wasn't long before Dad saw it after he came home. What happened to this door? And you know what I said? Well, uh, my brother was running, and he slammed the door so hard that it cracked down the middle. I blamed him. Well, my other two brothers, they're kind of honest, so they told Dad what really happened. And you see, I had a repentant heart because I knew I was going to be punished. But repentance based on your punishment is not true repentance. To truly repent means to allow God to make the decision of what consequences I will have due to my sin and also how I am forgiven in the blood of the Lamb. So, Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. Paul says, I do not have a righteousness of my own, but the one that comes from faith. And he continues, that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, because like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And the means, that's a really important word. God has what we refer to in theology as the means of grace. That is, how does he transfer to us the gracious benefits of the forgiveness of sins and heaven? He does it through word and sacrament. That's why it's really important to attend church regularly because sermons are to explain things from God's point of view because many a time as Christians, we still have that old Adam and we interpret Bible verses from our old Adam point of view, which is often wrong. Many people on the prodigal son think, that he repented on his way back. No, he wasn't. He was manipulating God because the whole chapter begins with the Pharisees being angry with Jesus because of what? Because he is talking with sinners and prostitutes. So Paul says, all those good works that I was doing, I now count as loss as rubbish in comparison to what Jesus has done for me. Now he continues in verse 12, as all of us should, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. No, we're sinners in our old Adam, often sinning by thought, word, and deed, even while we are believers, 
in Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers, he says, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. So he will make it, but it will be through the blessings of Jesus. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, he considered it as a prize, but not of something that he's earned. It's a prize because God has called him. The work of salvation is totally by God. Now, the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 43 helps to explain what Paul means by forgetting what lies behind. That's in verse 18 of Isaiah 43. God says to us, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Why? Because to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. You you can't get better passages that God formed us, that he gave us the blessings that the greatest blessing we receive from God is not just the forgiveness of sins, but also his righteousness. Jesus took our sin upon the cross and gave to us his righteousness. And that's why you are on your way to heaven as a believer, not because of a righteousness of your own, but the righteousness God has given you. I'm Tom Baker, and tomorrow we're going to take a look with Mark Smith at one of my favorite hymns in the hymnal. My song is Love Unknown. It's a Lenten hymn, and I think you will be surprised to hear how wonderful it is. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.